Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And this is part two of our summary for the saga of Finnbogi the Strong. Now, the question is whether this is going to be part two of three or just part no, no, two no, by no. itself. No, I thought I made it pretty clear last time that this is going to be a two-part summary. <laughs> oh, I know you did, but I also know how we are when we get into the sagas. Look, I'm not saying this can't be a three-part summary. I'm just saying it yes, shouldn't sure. be. Hmm. We covered Erbidja Saga and Isli Saga in one summary episodes. One. And those are two of our favorites. I think it would be disrespectful to then turn around and give the relatively unknown Finn Bogie Saga a three-part summary, don't you? Yeah, I don't think it would be disrespectful at all to either of those sagas. We hit those early on because we loved them, but we also didn't exactly know what we were doing back then. <laughs> you, you, you remember how much trouble we had untangling Erbidja Saga in one episode? I do. Uh, it was probably yeah. a mistake to do that one second, but we chose it because <laughs> yeah. it had everything we love in a saga. And it was relatively short. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. But let's not waste time getting nostalgic about an episode from way back in our early days. Let's uh, let's jump right into the second part of Finbogi. Fair enough. Um, I suppose we should offer a quick recap of what was covered in the first part since it's been a few weeks. Sure. Uh, so okay. the story began with the birth of Finbogi, except he wasn't called Finbogi yet. No, he wasn't called anything because his mother was forced to abandon him mm-hmm. uh, because Asbjorn Detias wanted to punish her for letting their daughter Thorny elope with a Norwegian whose name was Skidi. Right. And that's worth mentioning because Thorny and Skiddy's son will play a significant role in this episode. Assuming we ever get to that part of the saga today. We'll get there. Don't worry. Mm. So the abandoned child was found by Guest and Serpa, who named the baby Erthercott and raised him as their own. <laughs> There's that name again. Yeah, I had hoped that we would avoid it, but there it is. Well, he's not Erthercott for long. This boy grows up to be very strong, brave, and not a little arrogant. In his youth, he wrestles large fish, snaps the neck of a charging bull, and breaks the back of a giant bear. It's a pretty impressive resume. I mean, he's he's probably got a bit of uh, a Carl Zeffney in him, if you ask me. What? You know, the makings of a man. Isn't Uh that what uh, Carl Zeffney meant? According to your nickname survey from Greenlander Saga? Yes, that's right. And Finn Bogie has far more Carl Zeffney in him than Thorfinn, by the way. But now you're just trying to confuse things. (laughs) Sorry, carry on. Okay. Erthercott was eventually recognized as the son of Osbjorn and Thorgird after Thorgird's brother Thorgir stepped in and made Osbjorn claim the boy. And Osbjorn was none too happy about that. No, but he did it. Then Erthercott became Finbogi after rescuing a stranded sailor named Finbogi and watching him die. Is that how it happened? I'm condensing here. Yeah, but that makes it sound like Erthercott was standing over him, hands on hips, laughing as Finbogi died. I mean, he's not a villain. This was a tender scene. I, t- t- tender's a strong word there. Uh, <laughs> but huh? moving on. They liked each as other. As Finbogi the sailor died, he bequeathed everything he owned, including his name, to Erthercott. Excellent. So from this point forward, when we say Finbogi, we're talking about the young man who was Erthercott. Right. And with his newfound wealth and a desire to build a reputation for himself, young Finbogi travels to Norway. His ship got wrecked, and he ended up staying with a farmer named Bard. Yes, and this section of Finbogi saga is almost exactly like Grettir's time with mm-hmm. Thorkel, yeah, right yeah. down to the bear fight. Only Finbogi does everything right, whereas, well, you know how Grettir does things. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, Finbogi wanted to visit the court of Earl Hawken and make a name for himself. Fortunately, he bumps into the Earl's brother-in-law, Alf, who agrees to introduce Finbogi to Hawken. Really? 
Um, did you say fortunately? Because I assume that you remember that Alf tries to rob and kill Finn Bogey on the way back to the island. Oh, I remember. But tell me, does Alf succeed in killing Finn Bogey? No, good point. Alf gets his breastbone crushed on a large rock and he dies without honor. Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm. And Finn Bogey is at least halfway to Hawkins Court now with a boat and with all the tribute Alf had collected up in Finnmark. That seems mm-hmm. fairly fortunate to me. Okay. Well, if you want to put it that way. Um, but that brings us to where we left Finn Bogey. And we got through all of that summary in, in actual record time. <laughs> Why did we even devote a whole episode to the first part of Finn Bogey Saga if we could cover it that quickly? Well, partly because we're terrible summarizers and partly because we like to linger over details. <laughs> Probably because of both. Well, that's a matter of opinion. Uh, for now, we're all caught up and ready to follow Finn Bogey on his adventures. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we'll take you through Finbogi's travels from Norway to Byzantium and back again. And we'll attempt to make sense of the various feuds he finds himself involved in once he gets back to Iceland. Yeah, that's right. Um, if you've read Vatnsdala Saga or hopefully listened to our episodes on that saga, some of what we cover in the feuding section of Finbogi's Saga will sound sort of familiar. Only it will be from Finbogi's perspective, which mm-hmm. paints a very different picture of the disputes between Finbogi and Jokel Ingemundersen. It really does. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got to start at the beginning. Not the beginning, really. We started there last Ugh. time. So <laughs> let's pick this one up at chapter 14. Oh, do let's. Part 1. Finbogi goes to court. So the morning after Finbogi killed Alf, he sails down the coast to Sandoy Island. And once there, he requests an audience with Alf's wife, Ingebjörg. Now, this part really shocked me, actually, because the last thing I would do after killing the king's brother-in-law is sail right up to his house and then ask to see his wife. It's pretty bold, but I think we've established already that Finbogi is more confident than most. And in this case, he has to stay cool, calm, and collected because Ingeborg knows her husband very well. And she's a little confused by Finbogi's report that Alf decided to row straight on to Earl Hawkins' court with the tribute from Finnmark. Well, it is strange, and she's even more suspicious when Finbogi, who's a complete stranger here, tells her that he only stopped by to fetch Ronhild, the daughter of Ingebjörg and Alf. He claims that Alf wanted to finally introduce his daughter at Earl Hawkins' court. Yeah, but uh, Finbogi seems to have inside information about the family, which convinces Ingebjörg that Finbogi's at least probably genuine. Okay, so I get that, but no matter how you look at it, Finbogi is basically playing to kidnap Ronhild. (laughs) <laughs> he's killed her father, stolen his goods, and now he's deceiving her mother so he can carry her away. What part of this is good? Come on, John, relax. You know that Finbogi never does anything wrong, so just trust him. He's got a uh, cunning plan. Oh, really? Yes. What's the goal of this cunning plan? Because it sounds to me like he's just trying to steal a wife. Well, that's not too far from the truth, but we'll just have to see how the plan plan. plays out, and then we'll evaluate it afterwards. But for now, I'll just say that Ronghild isn't too pleased about going with Finbogi. Well, why should she be? I mean, the first thing he does after getting her on the boat is row back to the island where he killed her father so they can get all the tribute from Finnmark. That might look a little suspicious to her, especially if there's blood stains. (laughs) No, that remember that the the cave was up high. They had to pull the boat up there. So... But she is a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Now, don't forget, there there's a very direct exchange in the boat on the way to that little island. So she knows before they get there. Oh, that's right. I think there's a good candidate for notable witticism in there. Oh, there was. Yeah, it's about halfway through Chapter 14. So uh, let's do this. You could be Ingebjörg, okay? Uh, okay, okay, so I'm Ingebjörg? Yeah. Why? Well, because you're a more convincing woman than me. 
Oh dear. <laughs> I feel really bad for anyone who has to choose between us as the woman. Uh, okay. So, Ron Hild asks Finn Bogey, What is the truth about your story, Finn Bogey? How did my father and you part? When we parted, he was dead. <laughs> you have to give him credit. It's a very straightforward and honest response. It is. Maybe a bit blunt, but it's honest. Uh, Ron Hild, for obvious reasons, isn't terribly impressed with his forthrightness, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> she she begs him to take her home. Uh, but Finn Bogey, of course, isn't going to do that, because as he says, I took you because you must come with me. It's an odd response. Yeah. You must come with me. I mean, obviously that's what Finn Bogey wants, but his answer doesn't really tell her why she's been kidnapped. Yeah, and it's not surprising that she then bursts into tears. But Finn Bogey's not a brute, though. He comforts well, her by saying, Cheer up. I'm not going to behave dishonorably towards you. Oh, that's very comforting. Yeah. Well, I assume that's what she's imagining. It's the, the worst mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? So it would probably be somewhat comforting to know that he doesn't have hostile intentions. And and he really, really doesn't. Finn Bogey basically brings her to, uh, straight to Lali, where Earl Hawken ruled, and then he entrusts her to the Earl's nieces with strong words about the kind of care that she's to be given. And with the money he's collected throughout his youth, Finn Bogey manages to gather a large band of men around him. Yes, and this little detail is kind of odd to me. The author mentions mm-hmm. very briefly that on his way to Trondheim, he stops at a harbor and spread his money around liberally. I mean, it's just one sentence, but it seems as if he's gathering a troop to support him in Earl Hawkins' court. Well, no, I think that's right. If things go south because of the whole killing the king's brother-in-law thing, oh, that's bound to come out, <laughs> then you'll have some supporters at least. Mm-hmm. But I actually think he's trying, he's making an effort here. He's trying to arrive at court looking like a big deal. Isn't he already a big deal by this point? I mean, everybody knows about the bear thing, and people ask him about that thing wherever he goes. So, um, you know, we didn't mention it earlier, but the first thing Ingebjörg does when Finbogi arrives is to ask how he killed the bear. Well, sure, but should he have a band of followers because of that? Well, I think most of what we've read in saga literature suggests that he should. Finbogi has proven to be a very impressive young man. He's better than most, if not all. So why shouldn't he have a band of followers? Well, for one thing, every time he gets on a boat, everybody else dies. <laughs> I can't imagine how any followers would survive long enough to follow him. <laughs> but whether he's a big deal or not, having a band of followers accompanying you to the Earl's court is enough to make you look like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's almost as important. The more important issue here is how Earl Hawken will respond to Finn Bogey's handling of Alf. Now, the first thing Finn Bogey has going for him is his family connections. So he announces that he's the son of Asbjorn Detius and the nephew of Thorgeir the Gothi of Ljosavatn. And Earl Hawken is impressed by that, but he's far more interested in something else about Finbogi. Indeed he is. Now, some of you might be thinking that Hawken wants to know the whereabouts of his brother-in-law, Alf, but not really. Uh, instead, just like everyone else Finbogi meets, Hawken wants to know how Finbogi killed that bear. Right. And in typical Finbogi fashion, he says, That doesn't matter to you. You won't kill a bear that way. <laughs> what is with this guy? <laughs> I really, it's, would it hurt to have a little tact? No. I mean, this is the guy you're trying to impress, and you have to start off by being snotty? What's the big secret, anyway? I I really don't know. I wonder if he reveals the secret, then he's afraid that the mystique will go away. This Mm. way, Finn Bogey can keep keep people interested. So, he's kind of got the whole celebrity thing all worked out. Okay. Uh, Hawken does eventually get around to asking about Finn Bogey's travels, which, of course, leads to a brief exchange about Alf. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a pretty good one. Uh, should we run through it? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Um, you've got the regal bearing, and so you be Hauken. 
Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm the likely candidate to be both a woman and an earl in your eyes. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, I just like hearing your silly voices. So don't, don't blame me for working in ways to get them out of you. Uh, all right. So I'll start with the first question. Okay. With whom did you travel from the north? I came from the north with your relative Alf Aftercombe. Where did you two part? He remained behind on an island. Why did he do that? Because I killed him. <laughs> and seen. Thank you. Thank I gotta you. love the way Finn Bogey handles these conversations. Acting. I mean, the guy has to be a little crazy. Or just supremely confident in his abilities and in the justness of his actions. So no no real problem there. Or Hawken does mm-hmm. get really angry after hearing that Alf is dead, claiming that his brother-in-law was his closest friend. And at that moment, it looks like Finn Bogey may have miscalculated. Now, I have to just pause a moment here and say, what does it say about Earl Hawken if a guy like Alf is his most beloved friend? You know what? My wife asked the same thing as she read through this part. And the mm-hmm. more I read, the more I started to think that there's something to that question. I got the impression that the Earl is not meant to come off very well in this saga. No. I mean, he's not really bad, but he's not good either. Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody in this saga who's not Finn Bogey is meant to come <laughs> off as less good than Finn Bogey. Sure. I mean, there's a clear agenda here. But Hawken is definitely being painted with a, not a very not a, not a very nice brush here. Yeah. Yeah. For our listeners, this is Earl Hawken Sigurdsson, who ruled Norway in the late 10th century. Uh, we run into him a lot in sagas, actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I don't recall him ever being represented in such a negative light before. No, he's usually an okay guy, which is actually odd given the family. Mm-hmm. Um, Earl Halkin has a complicated history that's probably worthy of its own saga brief. Um, well, so there's one more saga brief for the list. But you're mm-hmm. right. He is a fascinating figure. You know, I'm curious how he's portrayed throughout saga literature if you do like a comparison. I know he's mm-hmm. often just a stock royal figure. So I wonder if those authors aren't really thinking terribly hard about who or what he really was. Kind of like how we mentioned King Athelstan in England uh, being used a lot with no historical basis for the character. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, Hawken isn't a very good Christian. Well, that's an understatement. He he had a huge falling out <laughs> with uh, Harold Bluetooth because Harold wanted him to abandon his pagan beliefs and practices. But Hawken was very stubborn about that, and his paganism no doubt contributed to the uprising against him. Right. So maybe, and this is a theory, but maybe this author is aware of that side of Hawken and is expressing his disapproval. Yeah, it could be. Uh, given his reputation, I would think twice about getting this guy mad at me if I'm Finbogey. So, uh, so what is Finbogey doing here? Well, Finbogey's alleged cunning plan is about to come to fruition. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot he had a cunning plan. He does. Uh, first, he explains that he killed Alf in self-defense. Well, of course he'd say that. That's not a great plan. Well, but then he offers himself a more capable but less dastardly man oh. in Alf's place. Not bad. And finally, he reports that he's brought Ronhild with him from Sandoy. Mm-hmm. And this bit of information is key, I think, to Hawkins' sudden change in mood. Yeah, you know, I caught that too. And I, I was thinking about it. I've got a theory as to why. Um, but why don't you explain what happened here? I, well, I mean, to put the most uh, uh, sort of real politic explanation on it, Ronhild is a female relative, which means that Finbogi has just given Hawkins a welcome bit of political capital. Yes, that's it. That's exactly what I was thinking. There, there's like a little detail in the abduction of Ronhild that helps support this interpretation. When Finbogi explains to Ingebjörg, Ronhild's mother, that he's come to take Ronhild to Earl Hawkins' court, he says that he knows mm-hmm. how much Ronhild has wanted to go, but has never been allowed to go. So that tells me, and I think this scene confirms it, that Alf and Ingebjörg had been holding her as a bit of political capital of their own for a while. 
likely mm-hmm. against the wishes of Hauken. I, I think that's right. And and when he learns that Ron he has Ron Hild under his control, Earl Hauken is much more forgiving of Finbogi's offenses. Mm-hmm. It's clear now to him that Finbogi is both intelligent and capable if he's able to take out Alf and plan ahead as well. And it really is an impressive bit of planning on Finbogi's part, I'll admit that. Yeah, it's very well executed. But uh but I thought that Finbogi was planning to take Ron Hill as his own wife. Well, that's still in the cards, perhaps. Uh, But he can't just claim her without first establishing his value. And that's what we'll see in the next section. Part 2. The Trials of Finbogi Finbogi's time with Earl Hauken starts out on somewhat rocky footing. Mm -hmm. Sure, he's delivered Ronhild, but Hauken's not about to welcome Finbogi into the fold just yet. Wait, everything we just said about Finbogi's cunning plan doesn't matter then? Great, so much for that claim. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, well, I suspect that without a band of supporters, a good reputation, and a peace offering like Ronhild, Finbogi might have been killed immediately. So I'd say the cunning plan worked, I think, because Finbogi <laughs> at least has a chance now, and bringing Ronhild is a big part of that. I mean, an equally good plan would have been not to go to Hawkins Court, but okay. <laughs> uh, now, while Finbogi is, at least for the moment, given the Earl's forgiveness and his blessing to stay at court, it's pretty clear that Earl Hawkin plans to get revenge on Finbogi one way or another. Right, because he's basically given Finbogi a public pardon for killing Alf. He has to figure out another way to accomplish this goal. And he does this by arranging a series of wrestling matches for Finbogi. And Finbogi doesn't have any choice in the matter. He's got to wrestle. Right, right. Now, the first match is against a young man that the text describes as a Blaumather, which is supposed to be some sort of dark-skinned man. The Earl tells Finbogi that the Blamather isn't likely to spare him, and he's right. As they wrestle, Finbogi realizes that the man's strength is enhanced by magic. So when the man attempts to drag him over to a large rock in the field, Finbogi does the same thing he did in the fight against Alf. He lets himself be dragged to the rock, then he quickly spins around, knocking the man onto the rock. And with that, Finbogi breaks the Blamather's back over the rock. Hmm. This, of course, displeases Halkin, who is now starting to feel threatened by Finbogi's strength and apparent willingness to kill Hawkins' best men. So because of this, he doesn't want to see Finbogi again for a while. Now, just a second here. Mm-hmm. I, I actually did several days' worth of research on the Blaumather. Uh, I'd hope we're not just going to breeze right by him like this. You just ran yeah, right through that episode. There are more wrestling matches to cover here. I will give you 25 <laughs> seconds to say what you want about him. 25 seconds for two days of research? <laughs> John, I used interlibrary loan on this. Clock's ticking, buddy. You're down to 20 seconds. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So the nature of the Blaumother is an interesting problem in the sagas. Uh, the term Blaumother literally means literally means blue man or black man. Uh, in this saga, his exact nature is hard to define, but I like the idea of an African in Earl Hawkins' court. Well, I mean, that's possible, but it seems more likely we've got a supernatural creature of some sort, doesn't it? Maybe. I, you know, I only said that I like the idea of an African character here. It's not impossible, though. If you look elsewhere in saga literature, you'll find a lot of blue men, often in groups, actually, who are all from ah, Africa. I see what you did there. You like that? That's very nice. So <laughs> later on, the term is used to describe Muslims as well. The name's even used by Snorri Sturluson yeah, in the, the opening of the... infamous Snorri Sturluson? Yes, the infamous story, Sturluson, uh, in the opening of Ingling Saga in uh, the Heimskringla. Mm-hmm. He uses it to describe a place called uh, Blauland or Blackland, which is a term that he's using for Africa. And then a few lines later, he uses Blaumother to describe the race of people one might find in a place called Svithjoth, which is north of the Black Sea. Okay, it's interesting, but uh, tick-tock, tick-tock. 
Oh, you shush. You already interrupted me a couple times. <laughs> but the term is used elsewhere, as you said, to describe supernatural beings as well. Uh, in some instances, the Blaumother is a demon. These are usually in Christian texts, like saints' lives. And then in others, the Blaumother is a, a troll-like creature. Well, I mean, it's true. Finbogi does say that this Blaumother is much more like a troll than a real man. Yeah, he does. And that's appropriate, because whatever Earl Hawkins' Blaumother is... Being hideous and unnatural is one of the key features of the Blau model. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it more likely that we've got a blending of types, which isn't unusual for the Blau Mother. Um, this one is a different color than everyone else in court. Right. Um, and it also uses magic of some kind, and it has superhuman strength. And so it's clearly on the border between man and other, man and demon or something else, mm-hmm. if not completely something else. Right. And I think it's interesting that Halkin, given his paganism would have a man like that at court, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a demon or an African or a Muslim or whatever it is, it highlights the author's discomfort with the Earl and his court even more. Exactly what I was thinking. And, and I'm going to conclude with this. While the Blaumother is often depicted in a negative light, the authors rarely make a big deal of their dark skin. And I, I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. The issue is always their use of magic or, in the case of Muslims, their belief in the wrong god. So however you look at it, the Blaumother represents otherness in saga literature in some really fascinating ways. And it's well worth looking into more deeply, and there's a bunch of stuff well, written on this. That That is certainly true, but your 25 seconds is long since up. So we're going to uh, we're going to leave the Blue Man and move on to the next task Halkin sets for Finbogi. So I did like 30, 35 seconds? Well, it was a long 35, but okay. Still impressive. I, I, I'm surprised. Anyway. While Earl Halkin is stewing about the loss of his Blaumother, Finbogi is going around spending money and giving gifts to all of Earl Halkin's followers. Clever move. Yes, absolutely. In a short time, everyone in the Earl's court, except the Earl, loves Finbogi. Yes, except the Earl. Mm -hmm. Um, After some time passes, Earl Halkin sets up another match for Finbogi. And this time, it's a swimming match against a huge bear. Sure, why not? Yeah, and this one understands human speech. Okay, this is just getting crazy. First of all, why put a bear in a swimming match? Well, it's an excellent swimmer, of course. Of course, of course. Go to your best. Silly of me to even ask. And why does this bear understand human speech? Because he's an intelligent bear. Is he smarter than the average bear? Oh, hey, boo-boo, you want to go diving? (laughs) Now, again, there's something very odd in this saga about Hawkins Court. Uh, the nice part about this contest is that Haugen tells Finbogi that he fully intends for the bear to kill him. That's nice. Oh, well, at least he's being honest. But uh, you, you keep saying this. The fact that the two of them are being honest with each other doesn't actually make either one of them better people. <laughs> I didn't say they're better. I just said it's it's a good thing that they're being forthright. Um, he does say that if, in the unlikely event, that Finbogi wins, then he'll be more fortunate than most men. So there's a lot at stake here for Finbogi. Right, like not dying. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> the race starts off with a bad sign for Halkin. When Finbogi starts swimming, the bear just lays down at Halkin's feet and refuses to get in the water. Yeah, the bear probably heard what happened to the other bear that tangled with Finbogi. <laughs> uh, but Halkin's not having any of that. He forces the bear into the water and the race is on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really not so much a race as a contest of who can hold their breath the longest. And Finbogi appears to be losing at first. He is losing, and and then he remembers, suddenly, that he's got a knife around his neck, which he then uses to stab the bear through the shoulder while they're both underwater. Oh, that's cheating! In such a way, oh, and he does it in such a way that no one can see that the bear was stabbed. 
Oh. And this eventually tires the bear out and it dies. <laughs> well, not, we're not laughing at the loss of a bear. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a sad. He's, he's single handedly reducing the bear population of Scandinavia. Right. Uh, so it's a sad loss, but it's a great victory for Finn Bogey. Uh, with no mm-hmm. bear to compete against, he then does all sorts of tricks in the water to impress the crowd. Now, I wonder that, he, you know, he's in the ocean. So what kind of tricks are they talking about? I know he's supposed to be an impressive swimmer and all this stuff, but all I can imagine is him doing little handstands underwater with his pale legs poking for the audience to marvel at. Uh, I hope he's got more tricks up his sleeve than that. Uh, Synchronized swimming without anyone to synchronize with is not terribly impressive. (laughs) I'm not sure what else he could be doing, though. Uh, Anyway, uh, whatever he's up to, he eventually comes ashore and greets the disappointed Earl Hawken, who just muttered, So, did you kill my bear then? (laughs) <laughs> you know, when I read that part, all I could think of was that scene in Return of the Jedi after Luke kills the Rancor. <laughs> you mean the fat guy who runs into the keep crying? <laughs> yes, that's the guy. Yeah, I always laugh at that scene, but I also appreciate how it complicates the world of Star Wars in some interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's way off topic, but I know what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah, there's like emotional depth there, right? So it, it's clear based on that guy's reaction, at least, that... The Rancor Keeper and the Beast had a very close relationship. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder about the story behind that moment. Who is this guy? <laughs> what kind of life did he lead? And, and what goes into caring for a Rancor that would create such a genuine emotional response from him? I actually remember uh, uh, reading a movie review of Return of the Jedi talking yeah. about that exact moment as being the magic of Star Wars. Yes. That, that everyone has someone who loves them. right? And that mm-hmm. that's that even the most sort of minor character who would just be a special effect in another movie, has at least a hint of a backstory and has someone who loves them. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, how do we get on this? This isn't a Star Wars podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So tune in for our new podcast, Star Wars (laughs) with the Saga thing, guys. Right. And uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, sent in that uh, the saga of Star Wars in Icelandic. That's (laughs) pretty great, really funny stuff. Um, anyway, Earl Hawken isn't all sour grapes about this. He told Finn Bogey that a victory would be beneficial to him, mm-hmm. and it is. Finn Bogey is immediately and very publicly forgiven for the killing of Alf. And soon after, he's formally accepted into the Earl's band of followers and raised to the highest position of all. Well done, Finn Bogey. Well Good done. show. Part 3. Finn Bogey becomes an errand boy for Earl Hawken. In the spring, Finbogi is given a special task by Earl Hauken. Now that they're buddies and all, it turns out that the Earl, while very powerful, for some reason isn't terribly well-liked by other rulers. Well, you know, being a violent pagan in a Christian world can have that effect on someone. Well, fair enough. Uh, And because of this, he sometimes has trouble collecting on his debts. And that's where an impressive guy like Finbogi can come in handy. Right. So he tells Finbogi of a Norwegian named Bersi, who borrowed 12 marks of refined silver from him and then disappeared. Halkin explains that Bersi has been spotted in Byzantium as a follower of the Emperor John. Now, we could talk about which John and why it doesn't work no matter which one you choose, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to skip that bit. Thank you. Uh, Finbogi's mission, should he choose to accept it, is to sail down to Emperor John's court in Byzantium and collect on the debt. Now, when I read this, all I could think of was the cost of a trip like this, both in terms of supplies and the risk to the lives of his followers and also one of his ships. Mm-hmm. So I started looking into just how much 12 marks of silver would have been worth. Oh, God. You're not going to try to do math again, are you? 
look, I know I screwed up the whole L thing with the fish <laughs> measurement, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to redeem myself and attempt <laughs> <Okay>. this. <laughs> All right. Now, it's very common knowledge to everyone that a, a mark is about eight ounces uh, or 250 grams. Okay. You got that right so far. Go on. So 12 marks equates to two kilos of refined silver, which I assume is pretty valuable. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no? Why not? Because if it's 250 grams, it's a quarter of a kilogram. 12 marks is three kilograms of refined silver. Three kilograms? <laughs> not two? That's correct. I did. I used the calculator. <laughs> That doesn't excuse it. That just makes it worse. <laughs> Look, if anyway, you hold on, hold on. two hundred and fifty <laughs> times oh, eight. You're just making it worse for yourself. Equals two thousand. So I don't. I'm not sure what. But you're not multiplying it by the number of ounces. You're multiplying it by the number of marks, <laughs> which is twelve. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm so dumb. <laughs> Well, you're you're very smart about books. <laughs> Just not books with numbers in them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, I'll put my calculator away. You know, I, I prepared this. You <laughs> think I would have had that right. <laughs> That's what makes it even worse that you had written this down in advance. Oh, sorry about that. Well, let me return to my notes. Oh, I did write 3,000 here. <laughs> <What do> you know. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, 12 marks is 3,000 uh, grams or three Oh, kilos. you don't say. Missed- Oh, I just misread what I wrote there. Um, but anyway, I assume it's really valuable. Okay. But I also know that it, I, I I know this isn't going to go well. <laughs> now, I, my confidence is shot. I'm no fin bogey. Um, anyway, it's not that valuable. I'm not an expert in medieval money, as I've proven very clearly. Uh, I, I also know nothing about trans... <laughs> I'm going to try to get through my notes. Just be quiet. Stop laughing. Oh, anyway. Um, I don't know anything either about its purchasing power um, and what that is in in modern Uh terms. But to the best of my knowledge from very scanty research, clearly, (laughs) and poor math skills, 12 marks isn't really that much money, at least to someone like Earl Howe. Right. No, absolutely. Um, I did uh, like quick, quick research on, on the Internet. And what I found was that 12 marks seems to equate to the cost of like a small cottage. Which is hardly worth sailing from Norway to, to Byzantium for. Well, I'm not going to question where you got your info. Uh, I think you should. You, you might want to think about I'm it. I'm going to guess that it's worth a little bit more than you're allowing. Uh, although, okay. certainly not enough to warrant the trip. So it's absolutely right. Uh, but that's only if you're assuming the trip is about the money. This is a warrior king with a reputation for tyranny and treachery. You can't just let a guy like Bercy take any amount of money, especially 12 marks of silver, and suffer no penalty. Or three three kilos of refined Three kilos, as the math tells us, and suffer no penalty. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, look how he responds to Finbogi's very reasonable killing of the murderous Alf. This guy doesn't mess around. Well, and that's the only explanation I could come up with as well. It just seems silly to start with the pretense of trying to collect money. I mean, why not just simply say... Uh, this guy named Bercy tried to make a fool of me. I want you to go kill him, no matter how much it costs. Right, well, he could have just killed Finbogi, too. But instead, he created those weird athletic displays, hoping that Finbogi would be killed that way. I guess this is how Hawken likes to do business. I guess it does highlight his underhandedness, which maybe is the point. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that sounds right. But it's also mm-hmm. worth noting that you know we talk 
uh, a number of times in this podcast about the economy of honor, right? The game of honor, right? And that's really what's going on here. There's more than one way to negotiate currency. And the honor of a man like Halkin is how he enforces other people paying their debts, right? So there's Mm -hmm. absolutely that factoring in here, that that's worth far more than the silver, uh, is that you want to be known as the kind of guy who will track you down to the ends of the earth over a debt if necessary. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, um, but before Finbogi yeah. leaves, uh, he does ask Earl Halkin to keep Ronhild at court and not let her return home to Sandoy or get married. Ah, mm. See? There's the more here. plan's coming together nicely now, isn't it? It does appear that way. Anyway, uh, like a good little errand boy, Finbogi gathers a few men and sets sail for Byzantium. When he gets there, he arranges a meeting with Emperor John. And just like with Hauken, he gathers a troop of supporters and makes a very flashy entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, Emperor John's impressed with Finbogi's bearing and heritage, but he has one important question for Finbogi. Oh, God. He's not going to ask how Finbogi killed the bear, is he? No. Uh, you were actually closer with your little bit of blasphemy there. Uh, he asks <laughs> Finbogi, who do you believe in? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a question about his faith. It is. And Finbogi responds with, I believe in myself. Which is, you know, cute and very, very Icelandic in the sagas. Uh, but not necessarily right. the best answer to give the Byzantine emperor. He's almost certainly looking for a very specific and Christian answer. Sure he is, but uh, Finbogi wouldn't be Finbogi if he gave the expected reply. Well, I think it, at this point, this is exactly how I expect Finbogi to reply. <laughs> right. uh, emperor John isn't impressed with Finbogi's bravado, though, but he's willing to work with him on the Bercy issue. Mm-hmm. He invites Finbogi to winter with him in Byzantium. And that sounds like a lovely holiday. Well, it does. And it is. Uh, Finbogi is allowed to stay the winter and trade his goods. By the way, he has goods. Uh, in the spring, an assembly <laughs> is called, and Emperor John forces Bercy to repay his debt. The emperor then adds an equal amount, which would be how much more, Andy? I think it'd be, it's a total of six kilos of refined silver. <laughs> Uh, he explains that he's only paying, especially paying that extra amount because of how impressed he is with Finn Bogey. <laughs> well, can you blame him? What a guy. Yeah, sure. So the, the emperor is so impressed, in fact, that he asks Finn Bogey to put on a display of his strength. Oh, brother. Yeah. No, it's just one feat of strength after another with this guy. It is. I would love to get to some saga action, um, mm-hmm. but we really are dealing with an author here who is cr- interested in creating a kind of Superman. I mean, what's yeah. the body count so far? Where's the feuding? It's almost like we're oh, barely we're in a saga. Get there. We're getting there very soon. I Don't know, worry. I know. I mean, you realize that we are halfway through the saga at this point, right? Oh, I do. And I'm having a blast with it. Finbogi saga may not be the most sophisticated saga we've read, but but it's damn good fun. And and now, John, on to that feat of no, strength. No, no, no. You forgot something. What, what did I forget? The emperor is going to ask Finbogi and his men to convert to Christianity. Oh, that's so nice of him. Yeah, I don't know if it's optional. Uh... But Finbogi gives him a bit of that old, oh, thanks, but no thanks. Hey, now that's a bit misleading. He, what he says is, I will promise you that if this preaching comes to the north, I will be among the first to accept it, and I'll urge all who listen to do the same. Well, yeah, which basically is what I said. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> For now it is, so yeah, okay. Uh, but guess what Finbogi does next? Oh, something beefy, no doubt. Well, he steps forward and he picks up the throne with Emperor John still sitting on it. Ooh. And then he carries it around in front of everyone and puts it back down. What a guy, I guess. What a guy. 
Yes, the Emperor is so impressed by this that he gives Finn Bogey a sword, a shield, and a gold ring weighing 10 ounces. Now, how many grams would that be, Andy? That, <laughs> 258 ounces is 250 grams, 800. I have no idea. But I do know this. I'm good with the story part. He lengthens Finn Bogey's name. Ah. It becomes Finn Bogey the Mighty dun, or Finn Bogey the Strong, depending on it. And with that, Finn Bogey's trip to Byzantium comes to an end. Well, all in all, you have to say it's a successful trip. I mean, I, well, very successful. I have to say it was a little short. Uh, mm-hmm. Couldn't Finn Bogey have joined the Varangian Guard or something? I mean, this feels like a I missed wish. opportunity to me. Lots of men travel to join the Varangian Guard, and he's right there. He's right there. So many adventures to be had. But he goes back to Norway. And when he's there, Finn Bogey's honored as the best companion in all of Earl Hawkins' court. And more importantly, he's given the hand of the beautiful Ronhild. Ah, yes, he is. And so the cunning plan worked after all. Of course it did. Everything Finn Bogey does works out in the end. He's a very special boy. Ronhild certainly agrees. She and Finn Bogey actually love each other very much. Mm. And once everything's been arranged, the dowry paid, and all the guests given lavish gifts, the two are married. Right. Now, it takes a bit of convincing for Ingeborg, obviously, because she now knows what happened to Alf. Uh, But things do end happily here for Ronhild and Finn Bogey. And now that he's got the fame, the wealth, and the girl, Finbogi is ready to go home. That was a very successful trip by all accounts. And Finbogi's only 20 right now. Uh, which means he's like 40. Isn't that how the formula worked last time? Something like that. <laughs> and with his best girl by his side, Finbogi sets sail. Floating down the mighty rivers of Colombia. No. <laughs> no, he's, he's sailing for Iceland. Oh, right. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I, I can't say whether or not he likes to press wild flowers. But he hangs around in bars. <laughs> I didn't expect you to sing that, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure he does. Uh, so now Finn Bogey's back in Iceland, John, and you know what that means. Uh, hopefully it means the body count is about to go up. Exactly. Part four, Finn Bogey and the Brettings. In the autumn after Finn Bogey's return, he and Ronhild are celebrated at a feast prepared by Thorgir, Finn Bogey's powerful uncle of Ljosavad. Mm-hmm. Finbogi's given five stud horses with yellow dun coats, and Ronhild is given a large gold ring, a belt, and a fine cloak. Right. Now, everyone in Iceland is just buzzing about the return of Finbogi and his exploits overseas. Yes, and most people are very excited about Finbogi's accomplishments. But not everyone appreciates having this famous hero in the district. No, there's, there's always a bit of jealousy, mm-hmm. uh, especially a man called Uxi who lives nearby. Now, he is married to Bretting's daughter. Now, we didn't mention the Bretting family in the first episode because they didn't really play a significant role, but they are included in the first chapter genealogy of the region as one of the region's original families. Bretting's the name of the father, and his sons are the Brettings. Right. I think anyone who's familiar with the sagas can predict what's about to happen when an obscure character is introduced with reference to his family connections. Mm -hmm. Especially when the saga makes it very clear that he's a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) Uxie's described as a small... Miserable-looking man with a grumpy disposition. And he's got mm-hmm. a lot of children and very little money to support them. And because of this, Finn Bogey's success rubs him the wrong way. Well, the good news is we won't have to put up with him for long. No. Uh, Uxi and the Brettings are apparently not big fans of Finn Bogey. Uxi in particular hates Finn Bogey with an irrational passion. And so, as one does when one is filled with hate, Uxi decides to do something about it. Which is really not smart on his part. I mean, well, if he knows anything about Finbogi, 
he should realize that he's got very little chance, especially if he attacks by himself. I think it's clear that Uxie is not meant to be terribly bright. Mm. Uh, one day, Finbogi is up in the fields tending to his horses when he sees Uxie running toward him across an open field with a double-bladed axe. <laughs> oh, how subtle of Uxie. Nothing like catching your superhuman opponent off guard. Oh, it's, we can't even pretend that this is a cunning plan. Mm-hmm. It's an embarrassing plan. Not cunning at all. Not even a little. Mm-hmm. It, it gets worse. Uh, when Uxie gets close, he swings at Finbogi and, of course, misses. Oops. And the momentum of the swing causes him to fall flat on his face. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he gets up and tries a few more times, but he just can't manage to land a blow on Finbogi. Uh, eventually, Finbogi grows tired of watching Uxie attack. He takes his cloak <laughs> off, sweeps Uxie's feet out from under him, and there's so much strength behind this blow that Uxie falls over, bangs his head on a stone, and dies. Well done. Now, uh, if I understood that correctly, Finbogi swept the leg? Uh, he did. Oh. If only Uxie knew the crane technique. No one can defend that. Oh, uh, right. It is an illegal kick, by the way. <laughs> Daniel should have been disqualified. Uh, now, Finbogi handles this whole affair really well. Uh, you know, he knows Icelandic law. He mm-hmm. immediately rides to Uxie's house and tells his wife what happened. He even gives her a gold ring weighing six ounces as a first payment for Uxie's death. Which is... Now, six ounces. How many grams, Andy? Six kilos? Thousands? <laughs> um, four. Uh, anyway, it's well beyond <laughs> what he should be doing. I understand the, the, the kind of legal things going on here, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, anyway, Uxie clearly attacked Finbogi, so he doesn't really owe anything. No, he did, but I think we've seen this before in the sagas, and I think Finbogi feels really bad about what happened. Often in these situations, when a truly incompetent person tries to play with the big boys, the the hero doesn't kill them. Mm-hmm. Right? Remember uh, uh, Gretter sitting down one of Snorri Gothi's sons, and plucking the weapon out of his hand and saying, you don't want to kill me. Yeah, exactly. This is not, this is not for you, little yeah. boy. Right? There's a sort of sense that you kind of, you, you, you're almost gentle with people who are that far below your class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he does feel bad. He doesn't mean to kill him. Yeah, I don't think so. But, but he did kill him all the same. And his father, Osborne, predicts that the Brettings are going to take the killing very personally and mm-hmm. cause a lot of trouble. Which is not surprising. And they do. As expected, the Brettings are upset. They quickly bring a suit against Finbogi for the killing. And it's a ridiculous suit, obviously, because Uxie attacked Finbogi. Uh, which is why Finbogi refuses to pay any compensation beyond the gold ring that he gave to Uxie's wife. And in, in the context of the sagas, I think that's more than reasonable. Sure, that is. But the, the Brettings are not reasonable people. And, and thank God they aren't, because we wouldn't have much of a saga if they were. Fair enough. Uh, so the Brettings storm off and then call in... Eolf Valgerdison, uh, a well-respected chieftain and kinsman. Uh, now, I have to offer a bit of background on Eolf Valgerdison. Oh, of course you do. Uh, no, no. He is the great-grandson of Helgi the Lean, one of Iceland's original settlers. Mm. And he's the father of Gudmund the Powerful, who we're going to be seeing in a lot of sagas. Yes. Uh, we've somehow managed to avoid most of the sagas where Gudmund appears, but he'll be popping up quite a bit in the ones that remain. Well, he was in Gretir's saga for a little bit. Right. It's true. It's true. Uh, so Eolf is... Is actually a heavy hitter from a very powerful family in the North Quarter. Yeah, and that's going to be a problem for Finbogi if the mm-hmm. Breddings can take advantage of Eolf's influence. Now, Finbogi's uncle Thorgeir is also politically savvy, and he realizes the potential danger of a smaller family like the Brettings, and he knows that they can be a real problem if they gather the right pieces around them. And so mm-hmm. he chides 
uh, old Finn Bogey for being too proud to pay compensation for Uxi, regardless of fault. And he says, It would have been better to have paid some compensation rather than risk one's honor in an unimportant case like this. Right. And now, and Thorgir is right, and that's an important statement. Mm-hmm. Right. Even when you feel yourself to be in the right, even when the law and cultural practice says that you're right, right, that there's always a risk, there's always a gamble when you go into a suit and your honor is on the line, mm-hmm. right? When you're the one who, if if things don't work out for you, you're the one who's going to be forced to make a payment you didn't want to make or outlawed, exiled, you know, any kind of penalty can be leveled against you. There's a real danger here for Finn Bogey, and it's the kind of danger that you aren't supposed to incur unless you must. Right. Well, I think the important thing here is that what Thorgir is saying is you should have just paid the penalty because now we're going to have some right. violence on our hands. Right. Well, and it's a ridiculous case. It could have been settled easily and cheaply. Nobody yes, cheaply. thinks Oxy is valuable, right? It would have been uh, easy enough to pay off his his price. Yeah. By refusing to pay, even though by rights he shouldn't have had to, Finbogi opens the door for more extreme forms of justice. Or at least a much heavier penalty. Right, exactly. So in the short term, the case is settled in Finbogi's favor by Thorgir. Uh, but because of the potential for further violence, Thorgir also invites Finbogi and Ronhild to mm. move to Ljosvatn, where he can help them more easily if things take a turn for the worse. Yeah. It's the first of many moves for old Finbogi. Mm-hmm. Um, now, somewhere in there, uh, Ronhild gives birth to two sons. The first one's named Alf after her father, who was killed by Finbogi. And the, the right. second one is uh, Gunbjorn. <laughs> it's an awkward... Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone to learn that even moving to Yosavatn doesn't help in keeping the peace. Uh, at the start of the winter, Finbogi begins preparations for a trip to Eri with his uh, trusted companion, Hraven the Short. Oh, can I just say real quick, I love Hraven the Short? You can. Okay. And I think we'll start to see why in just a moment. Uh, so Thorger tells Finbogi that it's a bad idea to go to Eri so soon after the end of the trial, especially if he plans to go more or less alone. That's Bit good. of an insult to Robin, by the way. Yeah, well, he's Robin the Short, so. <laughs> um, it, it is good advice, and I, I think Thorgir has proven himself more than once in Finbogi's life as a wise man, so why doesn't Finbogi listen? Because he's Finbogi. Ah. So as Finbogi and Robin approach Eri, Robin spots something suspicious. Hmm. Something that looks a great deal like 15 spear points rising up just beyond the slope ahead of them. And this is where I begin to fall in love with Robin the Short. He promptly tells Finbogi that it would be totally okay if he wants to change directions now. <laughs> I mean, neither Hraven nor anyone else is going to think ill of them if they do that. Right, but of course, again, Finbogi's a superman in this text, and he's not interested in turning away from a potential fight. No, he's not, but Hraven definitely is. <laughs> and when he realizes Finbogi's <laughs> going toward the spears, he says, Hey, I know. Uh, do, you, do you want me to run back to Eri and, and tell your father about this? That would be a good idea, don't you think? <laughs> Something tells me that Robin the Short got his nickname for more than just his size. <laughs> really? I, I, I guess I'm just going to leave that there because I don't even know what you're trying to suggest. But you're probably being dirty. That's my guess. No. What? No. no. Oh, God. No, I'm just implying that he comes up short in battle. No. Oh. <laughs> you're the filthy one around here, buddy. That's fair. So uh, Finn Bogey isn't going to let Robin run away with his tail between his legs, is he? No. Uh, Finbogi grabs Robin and drags oh, him with him straight toward the spear points. Physically drag him there. And indeed, there are 15 men there. Mm. Three Brettings, two sons of Inge, and ten other men. It's 
pretty clear what they're doing on the heath, and Finbogi challenges the Brettings and the Ingesons to step forward and test themselves against him. They refuse to take him on five to one. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, but Thorstein Bredingson thrusts his Finbogi with a spear. But, uh, Robin the Short lunges in at that moment and breaks the spear before it could hit. So who's coming up short in battle now, huh? No, no, not Robin. Nope. He's a feisty little guy. It's the last thing he'll ever do in this saga, I think. Well, Thorstein pulls his sword, takes a swing, but hits Finbogi's shield. Mm-hmm. Finbogi strikes back, hitting Thorstein in the head with a stone. Finbogi throws a lot of rocks. He does throw a lot of rocks. This, uh, the rock knocks Thorstein unconscious, and then Finbogi cuts his head off. That seems a little bit extreme. He was already unconscious. Well, that's the best time to kill somebody. Really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> plus, if he didn't, you know he'd just come back and try to kill Finbogi again. That's true. Now, now, what are all the other guys doing while this is happening? I, I imagine it takes a few seconds for Finbogi to hit Thorstein with a rock and get his sword out. You got to aim it, line it up, and and then and then you cut off the head of the unconscious guy. So they're just mm-hmm. sitting there watching, waiting patiently for their turn. Uh, yes, it would appear <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, I think this is the same logic that bad guys use in Bruce Lee movies. Yeah, right. Surround him with twenty guys, and then one at a time attack. Yeah, we'll see. He'll get tired eventually. <laughs> Well, I guess if that's the approach, I don't see how having those 15 men really matters at all. But I guess it's not a good idea to group up in close quarters during a sword fight. So maybe I'd wait my turn, too. Or maybe just throw a spear at the guy while he's fighting. That seems quite... Oh, <laughs> how honorable of you. Thank you. Uh, well, the Brettings don't totally fail in this fight. Or, you know, sort of, kind of, not totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do all die. That sounds like a failure. Uh, well, <laughs> fair enough. But Thorstein's brother Sigurd manages to cut into Finbogi's knee, oh. creating a nasty wound. Although Sigurd does get a sword through his stomach <laughs> for the trouble. Uh, the last Bretting brother, Grimm, gets a similar treatment. Mm-hmm. And then Finbogi also kills the two Ingesons. Well, there's those families. Now, I know you're mm-hmm. all wondering, what's Rob the Short up to? Well... After shattering Thorstein's spear, he doesn't seem to do much at all. Uh, but with the battle in hand, Finbogi tells Robin to run to Asbjorn's house and tell him what's been happening. And that's when the ten companions of the Breddings and the Ingesons attack. So I think Robin's more than happy to run that errand for Finbogi. Right. Now, by the time Osbjorn and his men arrive, Finbogi's killed seven more men mm-hmm. and is battling the three remaining men. And when those three see Osbjorn approaching, they turn around and run away. So that's going to be a total of uh, 12 kills for our body count. It's not too shabby for one fight and one man. Yeah. I mean, he's hardly Freitas, but it's impressive nonetheless. <laughs> now, uh, I don't think we're the only ones to think so. News of Finn uh-huh. Bogey's stand in this battle, it spreads throughout the land as he heals from his wounds. And everyone really considers it uh, yet another amazing feat by the great Finn Bogey. Uh, of course they did. Yeah. Finn Bogey never does anything that's not considered amazing. <laughs> It seems like he's got a cheering crowd to greet him as he exits the outhouse every morning. <laughs> well, that's right. Nice image there, John. <laughs> All right. So uh, do you remember old uh, Eolf Algerdesson? Uh, yes, the powerful kinsman of the Brettings. Right. Well, it turns out he's not all that powerful because when he brings a suit against Finbogi for these deaths, not much comes of it. Finbogi mm-hmm. has his uncle Thorgir the Goli. Uh, and his father Asbjorn, and he's also got the support of Earl Hauken of Norway. So lots of people behind him. Well, okay, wait, 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 wait. To be clear, it's not like Earl Hauken is going to get involved in this. Well, um, Finbogi just has a stronger reputation at the thing because of his friendship with Earl Hauken. Right? It makes him a more noble figure, but a Norwegian can't get directly involved in an Icelandic court. 
True, but don't forget he's married to Earl Hawkins' niece, mm-hmm. and that connects him to the Earl by marriage. So it's it is more than just a reputation thing. Right. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and with the force of all of that stuff behind him, it's not difficult for Finn Bogey to win the case. And so, what good is Eolf Algerdesen in the end? Well, in this case, not much good at all. No. Uh, although one of the stipulations of the final agreement in this case is that Finn Bogey and Ronhild have to leave the Northern Quarter altogether. <sighs> that decision really bugs me. I mean, Finn Bogey was clearly ambushed, and everyone knows it. So, why is he the one that has to pack up and leave? Well. One, trouble seems to follow the guy wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. But according to the case outcome, everyone assumes that Finbogi, having become so powerful, will likely seek revenge on all of his enemies mm-hmm. uh, without redress. So in the interest of keeping the peace, Finbogi has to move. That's really lame. Well, it may not be fair, but no one ever said life is fair, especially for a man with superhuman strength. Well, I'd assume life could be much more fair for a man like that in medieval Iceland. <laughs> Really? Tell that to Gretter. <laughs> I'd rather not. He'd probably smash my head in with a rock. Possibly. He'd probably just force you to do all his work for him. <laughs> that sounds a lot more like the Gretter we know and love. Now, all right, so Finn Bogey packs up his things and moves to Vididal, where he mm-hmm. buys a farm at Borg, which isn't too far from the homestead of the Inga Mundersons from Vatnsdala Saga. Right. Now, as we said earlier, uh, I can't remember if it was this episode or the last one at this point, Finbogi's saga is a fairly obscure text, but it is known primarily as a rebuttal to the depiction of Finbogi and his nephew Berg in that saga. That's right. And we're about to look at the Finbogi and Jokul Ingemundersund feud from the other side. Huzzah! This is the last section, right? Sure. Are you lying to me? Part 5. Finbogi's feud with Jokul Ingemundersund. Uh, John, just so you know, I was joking about that. About about what? That this is going to be our last section. There's no what? way. We've got a lot to cover. <laughs> I knew There's it. No I way. knew it. You're going to try to force a part three, aren't you? No, no. I just know the story well enough to know that Finn Bogey's feud with uh, Yokel comes in stages. Many, many stages. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's no way that we're going to want to cover all of it in just one section. Uh, but we can definitely try to finish this thing up, although I think we could divide the episode up right here and all would be well. <laughs> but um, the stages do tend to be extremely repetitive, so uh, we shouldn't have trouble plowing through a lot of Oh, them. thank God. All right, I'm okay with another section or two for the sake of clarity, but not another episode. Good. So uh, in order to accomplish that goal, I think we need to... St- Fast forward just a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, But don't worry, everyone. Some of what we skip here will definitely be covered in Best Bloodshed because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of bloodshed in this section of the text. And it's not just bloodshed. Some of what happens in the next section leading up to that feud with Yokel, it's downright nasty and sometimes just plain depressing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, okay, like you said, we'll get to all that eventually. So if we're going to fast forward, how far forward were you thinking? Well, I think it would make sense to jump all the way forward to Berg's arrival in Iceland. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we should we should review a couple important details just to, to cover those things so our audience is caught up with the story because big things change. Okay, yes. Okay, so first, Finn Bogey's wife, Ronhild, and their two sons, Alf and Gunbjorn, they're all dead. Yeah, that's the depressing part. It's actually more than depressing, and I almost don't want to cover that bit in Best Bloodshed. Well, I think I know why. But mm-hmm. as diligent servants of saga literature, we will report things to you as they are written. So I guess you can look forward to that in the judgment section. How's that for a teaser? 
Tune in to the Finn Bogey judgments for some of the most depressing crap you'll ever hear on this podcast. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, yeah. But uh, back to catching up. Another important detail is that Finn Bogey's good friend Earl Hakun is also dead. Needless to say, uh, poor Finn Bogey's had a pretty rough time after this move. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know your Scandinavian history, then you already know that Earl Hakun was on the run after his leading men rebelled against his terrible leadership. And then he was beheaded by his own slave. Mm-hmm. Now, this allowed the recently Christian Olaf Tryggvason, uh, who we've met before, to sail triumphantly into Norway as the new king. So now we get to see if Finbogi keeps that half-hearted promise of his to Emperor John in Byzantium about converting when Christianity arrives in the north. Well, this is Finbogi we're talking about here. No, who am I kidding? The golden boy always shines. He doesn't convert immediately upon the arrival of Olaf, but he does convert and promote Christianity as soon as it comes to Iceland. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that comes up later. Sure. Uh, but now that we've said it, we can skip that bit too, right? See, here we are. We're covering a lot of ground. Yeah, uh, now, with the transition of power in Norway, Finnbogi wants to go and earn the support of the new king. Just like the warrior poets, actually. It's exactly like the mm-hmm. warrior poets. Finbogi hoped that uh, if he went to the new king and did some things that it would cure his depression after the loss of his family. But his uncle Thorgeir, who's always wise in the ways of the world, it advises him not to go. Instead, Thorgeir arranges for Finbogi to marry a woman named Halfred, the daughter of Eolf Algerdersen. So this is the same guy who once brought a case against Finbogi for the Breddings. That's the same guy, right. but now they're good friends and allies through marriage, and Halford and Finbogi end up being very happy together, and life goes on. Uh, in total, they have seven sons together. Seven over the sons. Of the saga. Yes. The only one that's important for us is uh, a kid named Gunbjorn. No, I thought we said that his son Gunbjorn was dead. I did say that. That was Gunbjorn, his son with Ragnhild. Uh, he is dead. Mm-hmm. This is Gunbjorn, his son with Halford. Oh, of course. Now, clearly... The, lo- <laughs> the loss of his first Gunbjorn uh, affected Finbogi rather drastically, so um, he used the name again. Or he's just terribly unimaginative when it comes to names. Or that, but uh, I-, I think that uh, might be a little bit insensitive of oh, you. I'm terribly sorry. Um, now, the only other thing we need to cover before diving back into the more detailed review is the origin of Yogel's hatred for Finbogi. So uh, why don't you cover this part? Uh, okay, uh, so... The interesting part about this whole section of Finbogi's saga is that it provides so much more information about the animosity between the Ingemundersons, especially Jokel, and Finbogi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can listen to part two of our episode on Vatnsdala's saga for the other side of the story. Now, or you could also read the saga yourself. Right, of course. The, the Finbogi and Jokel interlude starts at chapter 31 with Berg grazing his horses and flaunting his rich cloak near Thorstein Ingemundersons' house. Right. Uh, now, it never hurts to read for yourself, uh, but just as a reminder, so this is the part when the hem of Berg's cloak gets all muddy and he cuts it off, right? That's right. And all of this gets reported to Thorstein, who's disturbed by Berg's wastefulness. Um, and when you read Chapter 31 of Vatnthal's Saga, it's easy to feel like you're missing something in this exchange. And I know I, I've always felt that way. There's clearly something more going on here for the report to even be made at all to Thorstein. And I think Thorstein's reaction suggests there's an underlying problem between the two groups. Well, I've always argued that um, this is an example of a kind of ostentation that's meant to be a provocation. right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's, there needs to be more behind it. But of course, there is more behind it. And Finbogi's saga sure. is going to provide that for us. It turns well, out that the tension between these groups exists because Finbogi provided protection for Thorkel, the husband of Thora Thordrum's daughter, whom Yokel had wanted for himself. 
Ah. Now, Vatan's Dallas Saga, of course, relates nothing of the animosity on Yokel's side, and in fact, never mentions Yokel having a romantic interest at all. Mm-hmm. Instead, they just focus on Berg's outrageous behavior, the fact that he doesn't call on Thorstein to share news when passing through, the flaunting of his wealth, and the generally being a prideful ass. Mm-hmm. And, and Vatensdahl doesn't even introduce Finnbogi into the narrative at this point. The emphasis is really entirely on Berg. Uh-huh. But Berg is Finnbogi's nephew, and we know from Hrofenkill's saga that any relative of your enemy is definitely your enemy and a fair target for your aggression. Oh, and we forgot to mention the best part. What's that? Well, what, Finnbogi's what? saga says that Thorkel, the guy who married Yokel's girlfriend, is a bit slow. Um, <laughs> is a bit dim-witted. Right. Which okay. just adds insult to injury for Yokel, who is also not thought of as being the smartest guy around. Well, if you read the saga, Yokel is actually soundly rejected by Thora once the arrangement's been mm-hmm. made. So I really don't want to hear Yokel crying about this, although he's going to cry a lot. Well, anyway. Um, so this is the origin of the animosity between Yokel and Finbogi. Right? It's all about uh, Thora and Thorkel and the fact that Finbogi helped set them up. Uh, but Finbogi. Mm-hmm was merely doing what his kinsman had asked of him. Well, kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, Thorkel's related to Finbogi's wife, Halfred, so he does help him out of kin loyalty, but I seem to recall Finbogi once again rejecting the advice of his wise uncle, Thorgir, mm-hmm. who said in no uncertain terms that helping Thorkel take Yokel's girl is a very, very bad <laughs> idea. And what do you know? Turns out he's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the hatred that Yokel develops for Finbogi is... Almost holy. Well, whatever it is, it's not healthy. No. Uh, before the wedding, Yokel sets up at least two ambushes. Right? Again, neither of which is ever mentioned in Vatnsdal Saga. In mm-hmm. the first one, Thorkel and Finbogi are riding along with Hraven the Short, your favorite, when Hraven spots ten spear points. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were skipping all this stuff. And now you're going to talk about both ambushes? Uh, that's right. <laughs> Well, can I at least share Hraven's line about the spears? It's one of my candidates for notable witticism, so go ahead. So Hraven spots about ten spear points on the horizon and mentions it to Finbogi. Like always, Finbogi isn't worried about it. But Hraven astutely observes, My opinion is that there will be men with them. It's a great line. He's a deep thinker. (laughs) He is. And Hraven, I think of him as like a Sancho Bonza kind of guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So anyway, Hraven, as usual, is right. And it's Yokel and a bunch of other guys. Um, But before Yokel can do any damage, his far more rational brothers, Thorstein and Thorir, come running up to stop the fight. Now, you know you're behaving unreasonably when a berserker is telling you to calm down. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Uh, And that's basically the rest of this saga. It's going to be one Yokel ambush after another. One pointless and badly conceived ambush after another. I lost count yeah. after a while of how many there are, but Yokel's absolutely relentless. And Finbogi would rather not have to be involved in mm-hmm. all this nonsense. He even tries, right after this first attack, to secure friendship with Thorstein and Thorer by inviting them to a feast. And they actually want to come, but they have to turn it down because Yokel gets all pouty about the whole thing. <laughs> don't go over there. I don't like him. Uh, that's your Yokel voice? Uh I think that one works for Yokel right now. Well, fair enough. Uh, now, it's really unfortunate for Finbogi because it has a major effect on the rest of his life. It does. And once again, Finbogi finds himself caught up in the, uh, a local feud. And everywhere this guy goes, trouble seems to find him. And just like everywhere else, Finbogi always gets the better of his opponent. Well, except in the Berg episode, which is what we've been building up to. Oh, so we're finally there? Yeah, I think we failed at condensing. <laughs> oh, well. On to Berg. 
Part 6, The Berg Interlude. So, not long after Jokel's second failed attack on Thorkel, a ship arrives from Norway carrying a man named Berg the Bold. He is the son of Thorny and Skivy. Now, does uh, anyone remember who they are? Ooh, 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 I, I do, I do. That's right, class. Thorny is Finbogi's older sister from the very beginning of the saga. It's so ridiculous. All right. Now, you know, John, by, by eloping with Skeethy, Thorny is indirectly responsible for Finbogi being exposed as an infant. So I, I kind of wonder what kind of relationship they have. Well, it never really comes up, right? She never returns to the saga. No. Uh, but Berg and Finbogi get along really well, even if Halfred doesn't like Berg and his wife Dala all that much. I'm glad you said that because I found that an interesting detail. Mm-hmm. Berg the Bold comes across as a really arrogant jerk in Vatensdal Saga. Though much less of a jerk in Finnbogi Saga, this little detail suggests that there may be something to that depiction of him. Um, I can see this guy flaunting his fancy clothes and acting a bit too good for the neighborhood. So I think right. that's what he's like. So he's a little bit like his uncle Finnbogi. That's not really a fair comparison, but... You're a little bit right. People <laughs> people tend to feel threatened by Finbogi and annoyed by his confidence. Um, I don't think Finbogi necessarily behaves badly, but he's very confident. So mm. I, I'm not sure that he puts a lot of effort into changing that perception, and maybe that's where the whole pride okay. comes in. Okay. So Finbogi's saga and Vatensdal's saga agree on several points about the conflict between these two groups. Mm-hmm. In both sagas, the two families are invited to a local wedding because of kinship ties and regional politics. Both sagas also report a terrible storm on the day of the wedding feast that makes things difficult for Finbogi and Berg on their way to the feast. Now, they end up having to swim across a river in the cold, which freezes their clothing and makes things even more miserable. It's another impressive feat of strength for Finbogi, since he Mm -hmm. basically forces his way through the drift ice and drags Berg along with him. Now, I think the only difference here is that Berg is the one who performs the amazing feat of strength in Vatensdal Saga. Now, I, I suspect that's because Berg is the focus of the Vatensdal narrative. Finbogi's almost a side note. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's a convenient and harmless shift that mm-hmm. helps maintain the focus on the person who's most important. But still, it sounds more like something Finbogi would do. Sure. So, uh, when Finbogi and Berg arrive at the wedding, they're eager to get to the fire. Which is quite understandable, yeah, being frozen and all. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, their clothes are frozen on them. Now, in Vatensdal mm-hmm. saga, Berg's cloak is frozen solid making him much broader than usual. And as he approaches the fire in that saga, he accidentally bumps into Thorstein Ingemundersen, causing the Vatensdal chieftain to lose his balance and nearly fall into the fire. Jokel sees this and immediately flies into a rage, smashing Berg between the shoulders with the butt of his sword. Which is Adertangi, the Uh sword that uh, Gretchen didn't care much about. Yes, the famous Adertangi. Berg is thrown to the ground by the blow, which causes him a lot of embarrassment. And Thorstein anticipates trouble, so he tries to settle things by apologizing for his brother's brutish behavior. He even tries to offer compensation. But Berg is too angry, and he storms out of the feast. Then, in the spring, he brings a charge against the Ingemundersons, the local thing, for this damage that was done to his reputation. And that sets up a scene where he tries to get the Vatensdal brothers to stoop low and crawl under a turf arch as a sign of humility. And that's how Finbogi ends up challenging Thorstein to a duel while Jokel challenges Berg. That's a nice summary of the Vatensdal episode. Uh-huh. And things are, again, quite similar in Finbogi's saga. Only Berg doesn't accidentally bump into Thorstein. Instead, 
Yokel pushes Berg toward the fire as mm-hmm. he walks by. Right. That's inconsiderate and dangerous and unlikely. Mm-hmm. But we're going to assume for now that the Finn Bogey version of events is going to be uh, our story. So, so. Yokel is clearly the aggressor this time. Definitely, John, there's no call for that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. But Berg, uh, on his way down, falls into a man whose name is Cole, uh, who's uh, tending the fire. And Cole... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You're just going to run by that? Run by what? The guy tending the fire is named Cole? <laughs> <laughs> it's rather an overly convenient name for a fire tender. It is. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why they gave the job to him, though. Like, who's going to tend the fire? I'll get Cole to do it. Right. He catches easily. Um, uh, Maybe the author just chose the first name that came to mind when coming up with the fire tender idea. But anyway, Cole is a guy, and he shoves poor Berg to the ground for bumping into him. And that's where Finn Bogey steps in. Oh, he's going to pummel some guys, isn't he? Not exactly. He's not Gretir. No. Uh, What he does is actually kind of hard to explain. I can't actually describe it myself, so I'm just going to read it, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead. All right. So Finn Bogey saw that uh, Finn Bogey saw that, and with one hand grabbed Berg's fur coat between his shoulders and raised him upright with all his weapons. At the same time, he supported himself with the other hand on Yokel's shoulders and leapt over him with all his equipment and landed standing up, amazing everyone <laughs> with his strength. Oh, there he goes again, showing off with his acrobatics. Yes. I'm honestly, I'm not even sure how that would work. Well, I call it Finn Bogey physics. But, uh, you know, the amazing acrobatics distracts everyone from the brewing Mm -hmm. fight and the feast isn't ruined and nobody storms out like in Fottenstall Saga. And as a sign of goodwill, Thorir, Yokel's brother, uh, even gives Finbogi several fine horses as a gift. So Mm -hmm. I think a bit of clowning always lightens the mood after a tense exchange and Finbogi knows that. Oh, there you go. So I'll just try that at my next faculty meeting. Is that what you're suggesting? Please, please do. And please record it. No. Uh, (laughs) All isn't well. No, nothing's well here. Uh, Finn Bogey's content with his fine horses, but Berg's not feeling compensated for the abuse he took from Yokel and Cole. As the night is winding down and Finn Bogey is preparing to leave, Berg steps up to Cole and whacks him in the head with the flat of his battle axe, knocking <laughs> Cole unconscious. Now that is how you start a feud. Well, yes. But he'll come to regret that blow. Finn Bogey's saga skips the stuff about Berg going to the thing in springtime, and the whole turf arch humiliation. Which makes sense because, uh, you know, Berg got his revenge at the end of the party. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be very smart to bring a suit after that. Instead, Finn Bogey Saga just jumps forward and simply says that hostilities continued until finally a double duel was set. Finn Bogey would fight Yokel and Berg would fight Thorstein, which mm-hmm. is the opposite from Vatensdal Saga's arrangement. Well, and I think that's because in Vatensdal Saga, the emphasis is on leadership in the Godar. Right, so the author puts mm-hmm. the two leaders of the district against one another. Yes. Finn Bogey's saga isn't about leadership. Oh, really? Well, what's it about? Have you figured that out yet? Uh, it's about how awesome Finn Bogey is. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But right now, it's also forgot. about the specific feud between he and Yokel. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, who's fighting who doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And as you all know, they never actually fight each other anyway. Right. Now, in both sagas, Berg's wife or mistress or whatever she is, and it's different in different sagas, Mm-hmm. uses magic to con- conjure up a storm to prevent the duel. She thinks it's a good idea because she's afraid Berg will be killed otherwise. 
which is a very reasonable fear. I think he would be. Um, what's interesting is that Vatensdal Saga makes a point of saying that Finbogi knew nothing of the plan to use magic. Mm-hmm. And then Finbogi Saga says that he did know about it, but he told Dala, who is Berg's wife, that it was a terrible idea. He's worried that if they do this, it will bring great shame on everyone because the duel should be fought as planned. Well, he's right. Because of the storm, Finbogi and Berg missed the duel. Now, in mm-hmm. Vatensdala Saga, we get to see Jokel and Thorstein make this Herculean effort to get there on time. Uh, which is where Jokel raises then a scorn pole against Finbogi and Berg. Mm-hmm. So, Finbogi was right. It's his first major loss, his only major loss, and it's a huge blemish on his honor. So, here, here's what I find interesting about all of this. You know, most of the people who write about this saga, and, and that's really only a very few people. Yes, um, So if you're looking for something to write about, here's one. Um, but they make a big deal about how Finbogi saga is a response to Vatensdal saga's portrayal of Finbogi in this episode. But mm-hmm. but as we're going over it here and I'm looking at this thing, I'm not really seeing that deeply negative portrayal of our hero. Mm-hmm. In both sagas, Finbogi's just supporting his kinsmen, which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. The troublemakers in both cases are actually Yokel and Berg. So Finbogi's actually treated fairly and pretty faultlessly in Vatensdala for the most part, even if he's a little bit overbearing. Hmm. So I mean, it, to me, it's not enough as I look at it to warrant a, a whole saga being built around this giant rebuttal. Well, but so I mean, are you you're not are you rejecting the theory that the two sagas are in conversation with each other? Not in not in a, no not entirely, but I, I certainly just don't see a lot here to support the general claim that there was uh, some major dispute between the Vatensdal and Vidal people or whoever's trying to restore Finbogi's name. I think Finbogi's name was just fine. Berg's the problem in both sagas, and both sagas show that. And nobody's writing a saga about Berg. Nope. Uh, but there is another difference worth mentioning. Which what's that? Well, in this saga, we get several more ambushes from Yokel. Oh, of course we do. That's all the guy does. He's, he's uh, got a very busy schedule. Right. But in Vatensdala's saga, Finbogi and Berg are confronted by Thorstein and then given the choice to fight or leave the district altogether. Oh. And Finbogi, realizing that he's outnumbered and, frankly, outclassed, agrees to leave as an outlaw. That's right. You know, I completely forgot about that. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, okay, so that that is different, and it casts Finbogi in a rather humiliating light, kind of... Very humiliating, actually. <laughs> he kind of leaves with his tail between his legs. Um, so so we should tell why Finbogi leaves the district in his own saga then, because well, okay, wait. it is different. But where do we start? Because there's a lot of stuff in between this moment and that one. Well, those are mostly ambushes by Yokel, of course. Of course. So so let's skip over some of those attacks. So I'll, I'll only say that along the way, Yokel finally managed to kill Thorkel, the guy who stole his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and Finbogi's nephew, Berg the Bold, is also killed in that same attack. Right. Um, and that's a, and that's Cole, a major difference, by the way, because that's Berg is not killed in Vatensdal Saga. He just no, leaves. In, no, in Vatensdal Saga, the, the, the author says, Berg, it's, it actually says specifically, the saga doesn't tell us any more about Berg. Right. We don't know what happened right. with him. Um, which I think is interesting because it suggests that the author of Vatensdal Saga is looking at another text or at least claiming to look at another text mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly not be, this one. <laughs> yeah, clearly not this one because we find out exactly what happens right. to Berg here. Um, now, this loss of two kinsmen, uh, Thorkel and Berg, it crushes Finbogi's spirits, but he does manage to send Jokel home badly wounded. Right. Now, there's a brief digression here about Finbogi's son, Gunnbjorn, that we should mention at least quickly. Uh, Gunnbjorn is given to Dala, Berg's widow, as a foster son. Mm-hmm. 
She takes Gunnbjorn back to Norway and raises him to be a strong and successful young man. And a Viking killer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he actually grows up to be quite powerful and, and has a share in his own boat by the time he's 15. So he's definitely a success. And we mention him here because he's going to play an important role in this next story. Let's go. Part 7. The end! In two parts. <laughs> now, while Gunbjorn was away learning how to be awesome, Yokel continues to harass Finbogi. But nothing much comes of it. And Finbogi has continued to perform feats of strength that impress everyone around him. That's right. But this section shows him taking requests, John. So it's not like he's out there saying, <laughs> Hey, everybody, watch me. Look at me. I'm carrying a rock. Ah, that's fair. Uh, but it's during this period that Gunnbjorn was away that Christianity comes to Iceland. Mm-hmm. So as we pick up the story again, Finbogi is now a devout Christian. So this is already a great deal different from Vatnsdal Saga. In that one, Finbogi and Berg are exiled shortly after the Scornpole incidents. Mm-hmm. And here, we've got a lot of time passing. Enough for Gunnbjorn to grow up and for Finbogi's father, Asbjorn, to die and, and for several more Finbogisons to be born. Born? Or right. Bjorn? Born? Bjorn? They can't all be Bjorn. That would be confusing. <laughs> and, for, <laughs> and for several more Finbogisons to be born. Right. Now, we'll pick up the story again in a summer season. Juan Soft was the son he shop me into shrouders as a sheep aware. Inhabitus and hermit and holy of workers. Went a weed in this world, a wondrous to hear. Now, <laughs> how long do you want to do this? Uh, I'd love to do more, but that's uh, as far as we're going to go right now. All right. Very good. So you were saying before we got distracted? Uh, what was I saying? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So um, one summer, Gunnbjorn, should we explain that that's that we're doing? No, um, leave it to the medievalist to figure out. Oh, sorry. Uh... One summer, Gunnbjorn returns home. And he's, uh, I think he's 15 at that moment. And if he's anything like his father, that's the same as being 30. You're not going to let that go, are you? Nope. You're the same as like you're 80. <laughs> uh, now, that same summer, there were some games being held at home. Gunnbjorn decides to, re- to attend so that he can test his strength and maybe show off a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's a teenager after all. His father told him not to go. But since Finbogi never listened to Thorgir, he really can't be surprised when Gunnbjorn decides to go anyway. Now, the reason for Finbogi's apprehension becomes clear as soon as Gunnbjorn sees Jokul hanging out at the games. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, Jokul's challenged Gunnbjorn to a wrestling match. Now, I suspect he's planning to throw his weight and maybe Finbogi's son around a little bit. Yeah, or maybe kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they're pretty evenly matched, actually. And Jokul, Jokul ends up losing... Which is pretty humiliating to him. Now, of course, we all know what Yokel does when he's humiliated. He ambushes people? You got it! On the way home from the wrestling match, Yokel ambushes Gunnbjorn with a troop of eight men. <sighs> Presumably their spears are sticking up over the hill again. <laughs> that's right, well, Hroffen's not there to spot them. <laughs> uh, but that's a really bad situation for Gunnbjorn, a young guy. And fortunately, Gunnbjorn can kind of handle himself, although he's, he's very humble about it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also fortunate that Finbogi figured out what was going on and rode out to find Gunnbjorn, along with his trusty companion, Robin the Short. Love that guy. Somebody's got to count the spears. Yeah, how many spears are uh, there? <laughs> Finbogi arrives just in time to save his son's life. Uh, he chops off one man's head with such force that it flies off the shoulders and into the back of another man, hitting him hard enough to knock him out cold. Wow. <laughs> That's really using your head there. Uh, don't, 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 don't start. Don't start. Maybe? 
it's a shame he wasn't more headstrong. No! <laughs> this pun thing is kaput. Oh, very clever. Bilingual pun. Uh, trilingual, actually. Why don't you try finishing <clears throat> the story, or there really will be a part three to the summary episode. Uh, Let's see what you did there. All right, so uh, so Finbogi and Gunbjorn kill off four more of Yokel's men before they stop fighting. Yokel's once again badly injured, and he's ready to go home. <laughs> and is again in a, a failure in his mission to kill Finbogi. And there's a great speech by Gunbjorn here about the whole situation. It wraps it all up nicely. Oh, yeah. I like that part. Go ahead and read that. Okay. So uh, Gunbjorn urges his father to stop fighting. And then he says, they are overcome and completely beaten. You can well be contented that Yokel has always attacked you with a large force and that he has always lost men and never left an encounter with you unwounded. It would be the opinion of the people in Norway and in other places where you are most famous for your feats of prowess that it is a petty matter to exchange blows with the Vatenstall people, even though you will kill one of them after another. Ouch. Yeah. Now, if that's not worse than any score and pull, I'm not sure what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yokel looks really bad in this saga. Yeah. Almost cartoonishly bad. Yeah, and it's written oh. down, so it's kind of it well, last a lot longer than a score and pull. There you go. Uh, but I think this is why scholars like to point out that Finbogi's saga is something of a rebuttal to Vatensdal rather than being a fully-fledged saga in its own right. Mm. Uh, but whether it is or not, this certainly makes Yoko look like a raging failure. And he, in this saga anyways, he really, really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Finbogi doesn't have the power in this region, and he doesn't have the family connections that he once did. And so the following summer at the All Thing, the problem of Yokel and Finbogi is brought up for conversation. Yeah. Uh, now everyone agrees that something must be done about this constant feuding. Uh, they decide that Yokel will continue to attack Finbogi, and Finbogi will keep on winning. So the only solution to the problem is, as they've done before, to have Finbogi move away. Finbogi must be rolling his eyes the whole time. I mean, how <laughs> is this fair? Everywhere the guy goes, people pick fights with him. And then he's the one that has to leave because he's strong enough to defeat anybody who's crazy enough to attack him. I don't get yeah, it. You don't. You don't, you'd almost think that there's something they're not telling us. Hmm. Uh, well, certainly the 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 parallels with Greta's saga here, I think, are are pretty fascinating. So Gunbjorn wants Finbogi to come with him back to Norway, where he will be celebrated everywhere he goes. He's still got that reputation, and no one has yet figured right. out how he killed that bear. Right. Good point. <laughs> but uh, Finbogi refuses to go because. He wants to help his sons to make men of them, he says, and to oh, do yeah. all that he can to make them strong. And, and so Finbogi then sells his property at Borg, and he moves west to Trekelisvik. Um And there he settles on a farm that will become known as Finbogastadr. Now we're finally getting to the end. And oh, I think yes, we can we wrap are. up things pretty quickly here. Well, we could wrap things up quickly, or we could take our time. Oh, I mean, Finbogi no, is visited no. by three outlaws, so it could be worthwhile to slow down and share every detail from each visit. Yeah, no, we, we could, but uh, I can already feel the closing music starting for this episode, oh, so you better move on. So don't worry, everyone. This section is full of great lines and some great bloodshed, so you'll definitely get some stories, or at least the good ones, in our judgment section. <laughs> the quick version is that things go very well for Finbogi on Trekalisvik. After a while... Of course they do. <laughs> he's Finbogi. Um, after a while, an outlaw from Vatensdal comes by and tries to kill Finbogi. And then another one comes by and tries the same thing. But everyone knows that Finbogi can't be got so easily. No. Right. No. He's he In this saga, he's destined to live out a long and happy life. Yes. 
And then one more outlaw comes through, but no matter how many opportunities Finn Bogey gives him, this one just never tries to kill him. It's weird. Yeah, no, it's actually a little bit disappointing for him, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does prove to Finn Bogey what a loyal friend this new outlaw is. That's right. And I, I should mention, I don't think I said it before, these uh, other outlaws were sent by Yokel. I think that's kind of right, important. Right, right. He detail. still hasn't given up. So um, this outlaw who's not killing Finn Bogey or trying to is named Vermund. And with Finn Bogey's support, he is reconciled with his enemy, uh, a guy named Brand, who's quite powerful in the region. Right. Now we're moving really fast now. We haven't even discussed Brand. But Finn Bogey impresses Brand when he doesn't kill him despite having a huge advantage. And because Finn Bogey's actually a really great guy. Uh, right. He's exactly what Gretter could have been if he had a positive attitude. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Finn Bogey is a fiction. Right? I think it's very clear. He's a fairy tale hero. But he's an impressive one all the same. Well, yeah, of course he is. That's that's what it means to be a fairy tale hero. No. And the story has a fairy tale ending. Brand is so impressed with Finn Bogey's handling of the Verman situation, the manner in which he spared his life and all that that Brand becomes his closest friend and ally. The following summer, he even manages to work out a resolution to the feud between Finn Bogey and Yokel. Well, yeah, yeah, that part is a little bit, huh? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and Finn Bogey thanks Brand by giving him the ring, the shield, and the sword that Emperor John had given him back in Byzantium. Mm-hmm. Everything gets neatly finished and tied off with a pretty little bow. The Inga Mundersons, and this is just incredible to me, the Inga Mundersons even invite Finn Bogey to move back to his old farm in Boar. Ah, but he refuses, friends. and he lives out his life happily to an old age at Finn Bogestav. What a lovely ending to a lovely saga. The saga concludes and tells us that Finn Bogey was considered the most excellent of men on account of his size, his strength, and his courtesy. He oh, appears, boy. and you can tell, when he say courtesy, you can tell there's a romance <laughs> influence there. Um, right, absolutely he, right. He appears in many sagas. And he is considered to have been the most famous and most excellent of men. Now, I don't want to spoil anything about my final rating, but John, <laughs> I'm going to say I wholeheartedly agree. What a guy. And I'll reserve comment for now. Mm. Uh, so I think that does it for us. Uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the saga of Finn Bogey the Mighty with us, please do so by getting in touch on Twitter. At SagaThingPod. Or on Facebook. Where we are, Saga Thing Podcast. Or leave a comment on our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Now, we've got a lot of new listeners lately, so welcome aboard to everyone who started listening in the last month or so. And uh, I want to thank everyone who uh, listens and has been spreading the word about our little podcast. It's very helpful. And if you really like us, you can log on to iTunes and leave a rating and a comment about how amazing you think we are. <laughs> it is actually wonderful <laughs> reading through those comments. It it warms our little hearts. Um, now, we look forward to reading more, so please, everyone, don't be shy. Get out there. Okay, I think that about does it. <laughs> yes, and we'll be back very soon with our judgments, where we will fill in some blanks and relive some of the best moments in Finn Bogey Saga. Until then, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. I don't see the problem. Thank you. Go count grams.